How's your crisis reflex? When something bad happens all of a sudden in life, do you freak out or do you faith up? Do you or do you not respond to bad things in faith? And the answer might determine a great deal about what happens next in your life. Oh, 
melody of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one that could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you.
morning church in psalms 36 it says your love O lord reaches to the heavens your faithfulness to the skies your righteousness is like the mighty mountains your justice like the great depth O lord you preserve both man and beast let's pray gracious heavenly father we thank you lord that in the midst of the darkness that we feel in our lives in the atmosphere lord that you are the light god that you are always the light and I thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray that you will just meet us right now, Lord, as we just come into worship with you. Lord God, meet us. Lord. Where there is fear, give us faith. God, where there is the sense of hopelessness, hopelessness, give us that hope and our love and the love that comes from you. God, we need you. We just, just desperately need you. And I thank you, Lord, that you always bring dawn, God, when things are dark. You're always so faithful. We thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So my name is Safinia Chavis. I'm from originally from Boulder, Colorado. It's where I was born. And I grew up in Boulder County. So lived in Colorado for all of my life until I moved here five and a half years ago. So how many tattoos do you have? Total, I have five. I can only show you three. <laughs> this one is a wave. And that one is a mountain. These tattoos are really cool because they are hand poked. And it was just kind of that moment when I realized that Hawaii really was home. Um, and so I wanted to do a tattoo for Hawaii home and for Colorado home. The one on my foot is probably my favorite tattoo. It says wanderlust and then it has a bird. It kind of brings forth this image of a person kind of with their belongings on their back and they're just getting ready to set out, willing to leave what's known to go seek something that's unknown. I've gone on lots of different adventures around the world, um, and it's never been very comfortable to set out, but um, I always wanna be led by Holy Spirit, which is what the bird um, signifies as Holy Spirit. So it's like a good reminder to not be afraid. I lived in Lima, Peru for about four months doing some mission work there. And the most I've ever been um, 
afraid was when I got kidnapped. Well, that's a story. <laughs> yeah. We got in quite late and I hadn't realized that I got through customs more quickly than the rest of my team did. Made it to the outside of the airport area and just kind of hung out there for a few hours. And there were these two cab drivers that just kept, they spoke English and they just kept being like, what are you gonna do? Like, you can't stay here forever. You know, your friends aren't coming, no, there's nobody here. And so at about like three in the morning, I was like, I mean, I guess you're right. And I got in the cab. As soon as I closed the door, I realized I was in their sort of, in their power, in their domain, and um, they made that pretty clear. They drove me around Lima, they took me to an ATM, had me pull out all of my money, and then put me in this, like, hostel? They took my passport, threw me in a room. So that was probably like a moment where I felt really scared. And then the Lord just really stepped in and, and I slept like a baby. The next day they kind of came in, brought me back my passport, and then dropped me off at this address that I had for the middle of the city, just like, with my stuff. Just dropped me and said, bye. And then I took off. My experiences in Lima um, were mind-blowing um, well after my super adventurous first night. I worked with the, the street kids there in Lima and um, it just, it changed my life, it changed my world. What the struggle of my first night was, wasn't about the trauma of being like kidnapped or like anything like that. It was just this decision to move forward regardless of whatever had happened. I had a lot of guilt about things that I should have done differently, how that night would have turned out differently. Is it okay for me to make a mistake and then continue to move on? God is like, truly with me and like truly on my side and that the circumstances like, don't matter. And so the tattoo I think helps remind me that like it's okay to like trust that process and that really the Lord will sort of I mean, he'll leave me. He's the one that matters, um, and he'll, he'll take care of it. But it might not look the way that I want it to, <laughs> or the way that anyone else wants it to, including the FBI. <laughs> Good morning, Blue Water. We all carry and express the stories that shape us in myriads of ways. We say that stories are the currency of faith at Blue Water, and we love uh, to hear them and share faith. In about a month, we have an opportunity to shape uh, your story uh, through a conference uh, called the What If Conference. If you're interested in it, uh, we're partnering with an organization called Kingdom Families that's hosting it. And there are workshops on drama, songwriting, singing, uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so if you're interested, uh, you'll see the information on the slide and you can join me in it. All right. Well, if you are giving this morning, you can do it in two ways, online, or you can send your check via post to the office. All right, kids, stand up. Let's pray for you. 
Oh, Father, we thank you for our children, and we uh, bless them uh, in this next week or two with, uh, with patience, Lord, with flexibility. Uh, we know that there's a lot going on into the transition of school. Uh, and Lord, we know that we are all grounded in you, so we seek your help in this time. Bless them with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't have a startle reflex. That's a fun fact about me. Some people are just born that way, which means that if you jump out from a dark corner and try to scare me, like I won't, I won't panic, I won't scream and stuff like that. I'm just kind of non-responsive in that way. I'm not even ticklish. That's how non-responsive I am, which I know is surprising to people given the ebullient responsiveness of my personality normally. I like sarcasm too. Yeah. Um, so you would think that that sort of quality would make me uh, very cool-headed in, in crises, uh, which is kind of true. Uh, in, in that sudden moment of emergency, I do tend to react fairly well. There's been a couple instances in, in my life where good emergency response has probably saved my life and, and one or two others. Uh, but here's what happens uh, for me. Like when a bad thing happens in life, when there's a crisis that extends for any length of time, I get very short-tempered. Because I, I do have a bad temper. Uh, and I have a tendency toward pessimism in life, if left to my own devices. Terribly surprising, yes? Uh, so when something uh, bad happens suddenly, I often get bitter about it before I get around to doing anything else. I am the guy who says, well, that figures. Oh, doesn't it just figure that that's going to go wrong? That's what I mean by getting bitter. You, you know anybody like that? Anybody besides me like that? Uh, I'm the ultimate, ah, uh, that figures uh, sort, of, sort of guy. Fortunately, I know this about myself. And therefore, as my life has progressed, I've tried to develop a certain self-awareness and means of correcting that. Uh, there was a time after my academic career had sort of fizzled and before I uh, began like full-time professional ministry where I was a software executive. There are two or three years there where I worked for a software company and I had become the, the vice president of business development for this company. Uh, the company wasn't doing well. It was sort of a tough time economically in the country uh, and I had sort of built it up at least to solvency. And then uh, what, that, what happened at that time is that the president of the company took all the money uh, out of the company accounts and literally left the country. Uh, so we were broke and it was sort of a crisis, which means I had to pull a lot of all-nighters. I was kind of beaten down by crises in life, uh, is, is what I'm saying. Fortunately, during that time, we got in a fat contract. Uh, we built our product, which was a database-backed website of a sort. Uh, the technology is uh, archaic now, but it was cutting edge uh, back then. Uh, we had this big client in New York, and uh, uh, just that week we had delivered uh, the product uh, to them. Uh, we were due for a very uh, big payday, which meant that the company would stay afloat. I could pay all my friends who worked for the company. So it was a happy situation. And then one afternoon I get a call from the guy uh, from our client company uh, who had directed their technical project. And he said, Jordan, the website doesn't work. Uh, we booted it up, 
I'm due to uh, unveil it to all of the executives over here and it doesn't work, you've let us down. And it just started screaming at me over the phone. Now I was pretty sure that our product worked because we had tested it before we delivered it over to them. Uh, but this was uh, a terrible crisis because if he didn't pay us for the product in full, then my company was gonna fail, my employees were not gonna get paid. So it was kind of a, a it was an emergency moment. And uh, I didn't know what to say to him. He got mad, he slammed down the phone. Uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the people in the office gathered around me, Jordan, what's the problem? And, and I, I did a little prayer time with God in that moment. It's like, well, this figures. It figures that something else would go wrong. Everything else is going wrong, but I didn't say it. I said, Lord, you know, help. Is there something that we can do here? And, and I remember a certain transition in my spirit in that moment. And I said to my team that was gathered around me, it's like, well, there's gonna be a way to solve this. There's just gonna be a way to solve this. And uh, just a minute later, the phone rang again and it was the, the director from the other company. And he said, Jordan, I lost my temper. Um, I don't know how to solve this situation. I don't know what's going wrong with the product. Uh, but I will pay you guys a huge bonus if you can solve this for me today. Uh, so uh, I turned back to the team and I said, we have an opportunity here. Who knows how to fix this? Who knows what might be wrong? Long story short, it involved lots of technical issues, but there was an engineer that we had who had an idea. It turned out to be the right idea. It wasn't our fault. It was their fault. It worked. Uh, and my company got paid a big bonus that kept the company afloat. Yay. <laughs> That was the story. Um, that was a good experience for me to have uh, because a month and a half later, the president came back to the country uh, and fired me uh, from my job, basically to kind of cover up some of the bad things that he had done uh, in the company. So I lost my job. And I remember sitting in my house on a cold winter day thinking about it. It's like, you know, when crises happen and you get unfairly blamed for them, God is faithful and he can still provide a way out. Amen? Amen. That is a long-winded setup to our scripture for today, which comes from Acts chapter 20. We are entering the home stretch of our sermon series out of the book of Acts, uh, which has been a story about the expansion of the church in the first generation of the church uh, in the world. Uh, we're entering uh, the home stretch of the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, the story in Acts 20 uh, is another story um, from uh, a city uh, near Ephesus called Troas, and it has to do with the resurrection of a young man named Eutychus. If you are looking for a baby name, Eutychus, underutilized in the church today. And uh, the story comes from Acts 20, verses 7 through 12. It goes like this. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and, because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. This was a long sermon. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, 
who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on, which is what preachers tend to do. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Well, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Such an interesting little story. Uh, Paul is sermonizing to a group of uh, new Christians. He's trying to download all the wisdom he has about who knows what. Who knows what he was talking about. But the sermon went on for hours, on until midnight. Uh, and this kid who's there, this young person, uh, was sitting on a window ledge, apparently. He fell asleep, fell asleep so soundly. He fell out of the window, fell to his death, uh, which was a bad situation, made extra tragic uh, because it was just a kid. It was just a, a young guy. So obviously, the moral of the story is stay awake during sermons. Right? Um, sure. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Um, but of course, it's also a story about how to handle crises, about how to handle sudden tragedy. A bad accident happens in the story. A terrible, terrible accident. A kid gets killed, basically, in the middle of a, of a church service. Uh, they're talking about God. They're talking about the goodness of God. They're talking about the worthiness of God. And then this kid falls to his death right then and there. Try to imagine yourself in the situation. What would you have done? What would you have done? Right in the middle of this church retreat, this kid dies. Tragically. What would your response have been? Well, uh, Paul runs downstairs and threw himself into ministry. Like, literally, he throws himself on the kid. Evidently wraps the kid up in his arms. You know, we don't know exactly how Paul triggered the ministry, but Paul ends up resurrecting the kid. He was dead. And Paul says, oh, he's alive. He's alive. And then, I don't know, dusts himself off goes back upstairs. Indications are the kid also went back upstairs. I'm thinking probably didn't sit on the window ledge this time. And they go on with their meeting. And Paul rewards them with an even longer sermon. And he ends up talking till daylight, uh, which was, I don't know, maybe a mixed blessing for them. But the problem got solved miraculously in what was, you know, probably just a matter of minutes. And Paul goes back to work as if nothing happens. It's the ultimate shrug it off type of situation. Uh, and, and life can be like that. You know, bad things can happen and they can just, you know, be shrugged off provided that you have the sort of faith reaction that the Apostle Paul had. Because this is an extraordinary reaction. I'm not sure if my reaction would have been Paul's. You know, if a kid fell out of a window and died on account of my long sermon, my initial reaction might have been despair. I mean, that seems natural. Oh my gosh, what have I done? What has happened here? And you can think about 
what might have happened in this situation. Everyone is at a church service, they're focused on God, and then tragic death happens. Uh, it could have worked out that everybody's faith got rocked by this tragedy. The outcome could have been that they stopped trusting in God because God let this kid die at the precise moment where they were all trying to press in to God together as a fellowship. It's not how it happened because somebody responded with miracle level faith. Something that's interesting to think about. I've noticed uh, that when bad things happen, we can generally have one or two responses. We can have the why response, or we can have the what response. Everybody say why. Why. why? Everybody say what. 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 This is what I mean by that. Uh, when something bad happens in my life, um, it is uh, instinctive for me to say, God, why did you let this happen? Why did you fall down on the job? That happens to me. I know you guys are better Christians, so you probably don't do that. But maybe you know somebody who, when tough things happen, they say, why, God, why? And there's something about that I think is instinctive. It's us reaching for comfort. You know, explain this to me. The world doesn't make sense to me anymore. God doesn't make sense to me anymore. And we are rattled in our limited understanding. Almost always, particularly in the initial moments, the better response is a what response. Instead of saying, God, why did you let this happen? You say, well, God, what should I do now? And give God a chance to speak into the situation or to direct the situation, or at least give yourself a little space for your faith to kick in and your faith to work before despair dominates you. It can be a pivotal moment those reflexive ones, those crisis reflexive moments. Even after a great loss in life, even after a tragedy that seems irrecoverable, if you can trust God in that moment, if you can trust God enough to think that, well, not all is lost, you know, that God is creative and almighty and all loving enough to create good out of this situation, you can usually find a faith option forward can usually find a way to create goodness out of the moment instead of just triggering more despair. Even if you don't understand things fully, the best question is almost always, well, what do we do next? What do we do next? I don't think in this story Paul left himself time for much despair. I think he was just like, well, what do I do? How can I make this better? Lord, what are our options here? And Paul, the miracle worker, reached for a miracle. And lo and behold, it worked. And at the end of this story, new life happened instead of spreading death. People's faith was probably built up at the end of this long sermon instead of rocked by the tragedy that happened. Are you following? What is often better than why, uh, particularly in the tough moments of life. So the question as always is, how do we apply this to life? And what, did somebody get him?
As I was saying, how do you apply uh, this insight? Well, it could be that right now in this season, there are an unusual number of crises in your life. There are an unusual number of crises around you. We're dealing with a lot of them collectively as a community. Um, you can ask, you know, why is this happening? Or you can ask, well, what's the best things for us to do now? Uh, what are they? Has God truly left you no way forward? Or is there, in fact, a creative opportunity uh, to bring God's power and love um, into your life and to those lives around you? You could waste a lifetime asking why such and such happened, or you could potentially save a lifetime by focusing on what to do next in faith. What's the next thing for you to do in faith? That's always a great question to ask. Do you guys know the story of Exodus? This famous episode from the Old Testament. What happens is that the Hebrews have been slaves in Egypt. God frees them from Egypt and then leaves them out across the wilderness and they're headed to the promised land a place of plenty, a place of fruitfulness. Along the way, though, the Israelites encounter various challenges. And it turns out that whenever the Israelites encounter a challenge, they freak out instead of faithing up. Oh, God, you've led us out here to a place where there's no water. And they freak out. They start complaining. God, through his servant Moses, provides a miracle. Moses strikes the rock. Water flows miraculously. The Israelites are saved. Oh God, we've run out of food. Well, God miraculously sends manna and you know a flock of quail at a certain point uh, to feed them. Oh God, they say, look, the enemies are arrayed against us. Canaanites are, are in the land. We are too weak to take it. God delivers them through miraculous battle experiences. God keeps delivering them. But the Israelites are so bad at freaking out that they end up just wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They just literally wander in circles. Wander in circles. God often provides crisis experiences to mature us in faith, right? That's kind of Christianity 101. That's how God makes people free people instead of enslaved people. The story of Exodus is really a story about how enslaved people become free, powerful human beings. And you can't be free without learning the ropes of faith. You can't be free without overcoming provocations in faith. If all Satan has to do is put a barrier in front of you to make you feel like a disempowered, fearful, hopeless victim in life, then you're not going to get very far. You'll never reach your promised land. I know that some of us are having opportunities right now to faith up having opportunities right now to say to the Lord, 
well, this is a pickle. What do I do next? What do I do next? I know he has a way forward for you. I know he has a way forward for us as a community. I know there's a way in which the end of these crises will find us in a more powerful faith position with better testimonies and better stories than we've ever had. Because that's what God has always done with his people from the very beginnings. Father God, no matter what crises are facing us today, I pray that you would inspire us to faith up instead of freaking out. We may not see the way forward yet, Lord, uh, but we open the eyes of our heart and we look for it. I pray, Father, that you would speak to individuals who are listening right now, individuals who feel beaten down by crises, health crises, economic crises, relational crises. I encourage you people to just ask, what do I do next? Lord, what can we do next? Take a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak. There is a way in which this story can turn out more grandly than you initially imagined. Trage tragedies can definitely hurt. but there is always a path forward to blessing and triumph. I pray, Father, for a spirit of creativity in our fellowship. That we would find new doorways in places that seemed closed off. We know, Lord, that even death is not a barrier to you. You are truly the author of all good things of all life. We incline our hearts to trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Hey there, Blue Water Ohana. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Sunday service. I hope that you felt some encouragement, some refreshment for how you can respond in faith to the situations you're in. If you'd like some help in doing that, maybe you'd like to have somebody pray with you, we would love to be part of that. You can email julie at bluewatermission.org, include your name and your phone number, and let somebody from our prayer team call you back today between 10.30 and 11. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We were born for a time such as this. God knows that in the times of difficulty, he will be with us, we'll see his glory as we respond in faith. We're really looking forward to seeing you all soon, but until that time, we're just very grateful that we have this community of faith 
to walk with in this season. We're praying for you. We love you. Have an awesome rest of your day.